Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This is the Action Network Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody? And welcome once again to the golf edition of the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jason Sobel from GolfBet. He is Justin Ray from the 21st Group, and this is the 121st U.S. Open Championship Week. Can't wait for this to get started at Torrey Pines. I'm excited about this one. Jay Ray, how are you? What's going on? I'm terrific. How can you not be thrilled, man? U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. So many great storylines coming into the week. Um, I, we're going to dive into a whole bunch of them here in the next you know, hour or so, however long we, we chat about it. I'm sure we could go on forever, but um, yeah, doing great and excited to uh, get dive into talk Tory Pines and the U.S. Open. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this one. I got on a plane today for the first time in a year and a half. How about that? Uh, I'm used to, I mean, in quote unquote normal times, I am going to what, 15, 18 events a year and flying to most of them and uh, drove to the Masters, drove to Kiowa for the PGA Championship, got on a plane today. Um, just, I, I can tell you, I know you're going to the, uh, KPMG next week uh, for the LPGA. Uh, airports are interesting right now. The guy in front of me was arguing. I had a, I believe, 8 a.m. flight this morning out of Orlando. The guy in front of me didn't understand why he couldn't check in for his 7 p.m. flight that night. Did people just forget the protocols? I, I, I'm not sure what's going on. There was a lot of madness at the airport right now. Judging by what we've seen at like professional sports stadiums over the last few months, just human beings need some time to re-adapt into society, apparently. I, it's not I so. you don't need to get there that early, man. Dude yeah. in front of you. Weird stuff. Uh, but I will say that when I landed in San Diego, maybe the first time I've ever seen this, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves. I know a lot of people uh, are into this too, but everyone at baggage claim stood like eight steps away from baggage claim and then walked up and got their bag. I was like, what is oh, going on, on here? Like I maybe we did some something. Water. This is one of my most significant pet peeves about Same. traveling. I think we've had this conversation at an airport before. You and I, maybe <laughs> Andrew Bradley from Golf Channel, he's in the same. We ranted about this. But you, no one can get to you their bag if you're tackling the bags on the conveyor belt. No. I'm, I'm tall. I'm 6'2", so I'll stand like 20 feet away and just eyeball it and go get it. Why? What are you doing? Why are you so close to the bag? Like, no one's going to take your bag. It's right, fine. Right. Yeah. The, so I don't know. what, what they, they have like seminars in the San Diego, greater San Diego area about how to I'm act. I'm telling you. Might have been a one-time deal. Uh, <laughs> same thing. I, I will say there are still people, you know, when you're uh, checking for, uh, what do they call it, group, like group two is being called and you're like, hey, you online there? No, I'm group nine. All right. Well, why are you standing here? Like, you know, it, to annoy you, a line, who wants to stand in a line that they're not really online for yet? So I don't quite understand that still, but uh, there's a lot of airport interesting things going on. But I will say uh, my faith in humanity was restored a little bit at baggage claim at the San Diego airport. That's good to know. I need that kind of positivity. I got flipped off in the grocery store parking lot today. <laughs> I have no idea why. It's been bothering me for like the last five hours. It wasn't like I was out of my car. It wasn't like a traffic situation. 
Guys, yeah, flip me the bird. I know. I have no idea why. It's been driving me nuts for five. Did you have to win last week? No. Oh, see, that there you go. It. Yeah, that might have been it. Yeah, it was just a I big fan. Him, I was the one who on the gimme said Jonathan Vegas instant fade, and he, there he is, tied for fifth. So I that's like Jonathan Vegas this week. You like him this week. I mean, I he, like him, and you said that on the gimme last week, and I, I'm, I'm on him this week. I we'll get to everything. I, is there anything for the Palmetto Championship? I know we got a major coming up, and we're going to talk all about the U.S. Open and Tory Pines and the players that we like for a while here. Is there anything we want to touch on from this past week, Garrick? Hugo, uh, add another name to that very impressive list of 25 and unders who um, apparently are just ready to go win on the big stage right now. I, you know, and we can go up and down this list from Morikawa to Hovland to uh, I think we still throw Matthew Wolf on there, even though he's had some rough times to him yeah. to Zalatoris to Neiman to uh, guys that I'm sure I'm missing right now. But Garrick Higo, throw him on the list. Guys are really, really good player. Knows how to win, apparently. Absolutely. Three wins in his last six starts. The field's not necessarily super strong in those European tour events at the Canary Islands. So it's not like the same kind of class as like Colin, obviously, who won the PGA Championship. But yeah, for sure. 22 years old. First South African to win a PGA Tour event at age 22 or younger since Gary Player, 1958. That was my favorite gym I dug up Sunday afternoon watching the golf. Brutal finish for Chesson Hadley. Just Ugh. absolutely. I mean, I kind of, my stomach turned a little bit when you realized he wasn't going to win. And they, were, they, showed, they showed his wife flew in for the, for the finish. This is, oh, I mean, maybe that'll make it a little easier that night, you know, consoling the, the, uh, the loss there. But tough, tough, tough to watch that. Yeah, it was tough to watch Chesson Hadley. But yeah, Garrick Higo looks like he's another, if not, I hate to throw upcoming star uh, on anybody, but looks like he's a guy that's going to be around for a long time to come. Already three wins on the European Tour, and now he's a PGA Tour champion, 22 years old. So uh, welcome to the club, Garrick, and let's see what you got uh, coming up this week and beyond. So uh, let's get into this U.S. Open and uh, look at the B- the Bet MGM odds this week. John Rahm is your favorite, and uh, we'll start there. Before I get into the rest of the odds, uh, I want to talk about John Rahm a little bit. Obviously coming off uh, what was the strangest thing there? There aren't a whole lot of nevers in 161 years of major championships. I am going to safely say without, and you're probably going to pull some stat from 1912 on me here, but uh, never before has a pre-tournament major championship favorite led by six shots going into the final round of his previous event and then withdrawn. Uh, am I, am I safe to, to go with that? Well, we'll check on the pandemic statistics from 1920 and see if, Harry Varden got pulled off the 54th green at the open championship one year, but yeah, no, definitely a straight situation, but every, every other thing about him going into this golf tournament, aside from the COVID withdrawal, the positive test, he's got the best score to par at Torrey Pine since 2017. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, he's coming off. I mean, he was playing out of his mind at the Memorial tournament. That third round was his best career round of the PGA tour by strokes gain total I mean, he had a six-shot lead. He's coming into form. I think he's justifiably the favorite this week. I, I, I can't see, you know, a reason to put DJ or Brooks or Bryson over John Rahm going into the week. And yet, a guy who hasn't won since last August. So, I mean, we're looking at him saying, hey, he's the favorite. I think a little bit for the fact that there's question marks surrounding pretty much every other top player. Dustin Johnson looked like he got it back last week a little bit, a T10, but against really an inferior field in his home state of South Carolina. Brooks Kepka is 18-1 to this week, and Kepka's coming off a miscut, but hey, it's not a major, and he doesn't care, and he'll show up and uh, presumably play well. Bryson, his buddy, is also 18-1. to I like that. They've got them right there together with each other. But um, do you think Dustin Johnson, talk about not really, you know, he faded on Sunday at Congaree. Do you think Dustin Johnson's aware that nobody has ever won the week before the U.S. Open on the PGA Tour and then won the U.S. Open? DJ combing through the annals of history and, and finding that out. I, I jokingly say that, but <laughs> the part of you kind of figures like, ah, you know, don't use too many bullets. You don't want to have – not like there's any stress that Dustin Johnson's going to put on himself at a PGA Tour event at this point. But I don't know, maybe there's something to be said for not being in the heat of it really tensely. For 72 holes and then the next week flying across the country and trying to do it at the u.s open 
I don't think he planned it, but look, uh, the best players in the game talk about trying to peak four times a year and the Palmetto championship is not one of those four times. And so no, it is not. <laughs> I, it's not as if he said, Hey, let me take my foot off the gas pedal a little bit and not try to win so that I can come in with maybe some momentum as opposed to coming in fresh off of victory. But, uh, you know, it's not. I wouldn't. I was, and I wasn't suggesting that that's what he was doing. I was just no, no. kind of flippantly joking about that. That one. I, there. I want to ask you something in terms of Rom before we get too far, because uh, we all know. Okay, Rom led by six at the Memorial Tournament a few weeks ago. Got pulled off the golf course. Couldn't finish. We get that. Uh, looks like he is probably going to be able to prepare the same way he would prepare for any other major championship. Uh, getting out of quarantine earlier than we thought he might have been. You mentioned his record at Torrey Pines. How much stock do we put into that this week? Because, of course, the Farmers Insurance Open is played every January. It is, uh, well, one round, 25% of the event at least is played on the north course, not the south course. And it's different conditions. It's just a different golf course for that event than it is this week. But still, uh, you know, there's something to be said for, hey, guys like this place. Tiger was great at the Farmers Insurance Open for years and years and years, went to the U.S. Open here and won this golf tournament. So uh, there's something to be said for at least having some success on this golf course. How much weight do we put on having success at Torrey Pines in the regular PGA Tour event as opposed to going into a major here? Well, first of all, it's tough to have Tiger Woods as a comp for anything because Tiger Woods' preferred course fit was anywhere with breathable oxygen. That was pretty much where he fit best. So it's in our minds, yeah, Tigers won eight times, seven uh, Farmers Insurance Open, and then once, uh, obviously, the U.S. Open in 2008. And so we kind of make that correlation. He had won earlier in the year in 08. Yes, yes. He had won earlier in the year in 08, won by eight shots at the Buick Invitational, what it was called then, and then went on to win. So, yeah, we have those things in our mind. I do think there's some value to to be had. If you've hit big shots down the stretch at a golf course and you can kind of, you've got experience there. You've seen that kind of shot line. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit different conditions, but I think there's value to it. I'm not going to just go straight. You know, if you had success here this week, you will in the future. Like, but there's some guys like Tony Finau, pretty strong resume at the Farms insurance open also has a lot of traits that kind of marry really well with the traits that we think are going to be significant at Torrey Pines this week. You know, it helps It helps build the resume for some guys, I'll say. It's not the end-all, be-all, but I think in some cases it can be beneficial. On the other hand, a guy like Dustin Johnson hasn't played at Torrey Pines in four years, doesn't really have a lot of great results to speak of. I really don't care. I still think that he's he's such a great performer in the U.S. Open. I don't think mm-hmm. it matters. So, like, for some guys, you can add a little bit to their resume there, and for some, maybe it's not as significant. A lot of different places we can go right now. The place I want to go is something that I've written about Over the last few years, in terms of the U.S. Open, I wrote about it again this week, and I'll continue writing about it until proven wrong. But this tournament used to be the one for the little guys, for the guys that keep it in the short stuff, the Corey Pavins, the Lee Jansons, the Jim Furyks, the guys who just plod their way around the golf course, make some pars, don't make too many mistakes. Those guys can win a U.S. Open. Over the last five years, the winners we've seen are Brooks Kepka twice, Dustin Johnson, Gary Woodland, and Bryson DeChambeau. What do they all have in common? Big, strong, athletic dudes. Essentially, what we found over the last half decade is that when, not if, but when, because you are going to be in the rough uh, a decent amount of times off the tee at this golf course or any other U.S. Open golf course that we've seen recently. So when you are in the rough, you better be able to be strong enough to get your ball out of the rough and onto the green. And those are the guys that have had the most success. It, is that something that's going to translate as well this week? Because uh, from what I'm seeing, the rough is as lush as it's been at any other U.S. Open venue, and I don't see anything changing from what we've seen over the last five years. I'm with you. And the course trends at Torrey Pines when the tournament was held there in the past, whether it's the regular PGA Tour event or at the U.S. Open, they have that same, you know, the same thing. It, it, it's been very favorable over the years to players who were wild off the tee. This is my most definitive statistic about driving accuracy and its insignificance at Torrey Pines. Over the last 40 years, this is four decades, this is not a small sample size, 15 times a player has won at Torrey Pines, ranked outside the top 50 in the field in driving accuracy. Seven times, less than half as many, the the winner was in the top 10. I mean, that just goes to, when Tiger Woods won in 2013, he was dead last in the field 
an average distance from the middle of the fairway off the tee, which measures not just if you're offline, but how offline you were. Dead last won the golf tournament running away. I mean, it's just not, it's approach play is infinitely more significant. It's a long golf course, longer approach shots are going to be more significant. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just, you know, the other number I have 46% of players, of, of players to win, sorry, players to win at Torrey Pines since 2005, 46% of their strokes gained have come on approach shots. 11% have come from the team. So wow, okay. tells you a lot about the significance of approach play compared to you can be a little wild. So maybe you think about Jordan's speed. Maybe you think about some of these guys who are a little wilder off the tee and it's not going to cancel them out off the bat. All right. Uh, back to the odds board. I mentioned Rom the favorite, 10 to 1, DJ 14, Kepka 18, Bryson 18, Xander 18, Jordan Spieth at 20 to 1 alongside JT and Rory. Morikawa 22 to 1, Patrick Cantley 25 to 1, Tony Finau 25 to 1, Victor Hovland 25 to 1. Keep going to Patrick Reed, who's the defending Farmers Insurance Open champion. He is 28 to 1, Hideki Matsuyama, the Masters champion, 35 to 1. There are a lot of big names there. I think that uh, a lot of outright bets will be played on these guys who, hey, it's got to be one of these guys. Uh, what we found over the first two major championships is you look at the best players in the world, you say, well, one of these guys is certainly going to win. And then we have Hideki Matsuyama, who's a 60 to one, somewhat long shot, you know, at least a mid tier kind of play going into the masters. And then Phil Mickelson, who was a 250 to one, uh, 200, 300 to one, depending on the book you were looking at, but 250 is a good average going into the PGA championship. Grant Phil's a different player than a lot of other guys who are 250 to one. There aren't a whole lot of, uh, five time going into the PGA championship, major champions who were two fifty to one, but uh, do you see the winner coming out of this tier that, and, and who do you like from this tier? And I'll, I'll get into the guys that I like as well, but um, where in this upper tier, do you think uh, if not value, at least like, you know, kind of the smart money would go. So I do see the winner coming out of this group. Um, for the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to get it out of my head, but I'm pretty, if you gave me, DJ, Kepka, Bryson versus the field, I might take those three guys. Wow. I think that driving distance and power is going to be so significant this week that if that was a prop bet, I might take it. Now, I know Rom throws that a little bit out of the mix. I like Tony Finau this week. Mm-hmm. you got to see him get it over the finish line, you know, to, to put faith in a win bet there. But I really do think it's going to come from the top of this group. We talked about the last five U.S. Open winners, all top 25 in the world ranking all top 20 on tour and driving distance, all American players. I mean, I just, those are the usual suspects. And I, I really do look, the unpredictability we had at the PGA championship was awesome. And I just don't see it. That kind of unpredictability replicating itself at Torrey Pines this week. This one has been more predictable over the last handful of years. Even Gary Woodland, who won at Pebble beach, you weren't like, Oh, where'd he come from? It was like, yeah, that kind of, you know, we've been waiting for Gary like kept the these things. Kepka Light, you know, yeah. sort of DJ Light and, and has been for years. DJ, he was always compared to DJ in terms of being the athletic guy, basketball, could DJ could dunk a basketball that line for 10 Wow, times. really? And then Woodland has the best week around the greens maybe that he'll ever have in his life, and yeah. that's how he won. So it wasn't totally out of left field. Now, if you could see someone who kind of fits that power profile a little bit further down the board, maybe, but oh, man, I really – I'm really favoring the guys who are really powerful and are going to be able to have shorter approach shots out of this rough because everyone's going to be hitting out of it. I am absolutely with you on the powerful guys. I do think there's some value a little bit further down the board. If I was given one player, uh, I'm not betting them because I want to find some value down the line. But if you said, hey, I've got the office pool and I've got to pick somebody in tier one for the major championship pool and which of these great players should I take? John Rahm's still my guy. I mean, he's the favorite for a reason. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to win this week, but I don't see him finishing outside the top 10. Like you said, he plays Torrey Pines really well. He's been on a heater. You get John Rahm mad, which I can't believe he's real happy about being taken <laughs> off the course for a positive COVID test two weeks ago. Um, he's going to come in here with a little mission uh, going on. And so uh, I really do like him as far as uh, maybe not specifically betting him at the number he's at right now, but like I said, I know there's a lot of different pools and one and dones and things like that going on right now. So I do like John Rahm um, uh, for those. I, I like Kepka. In fact, I might bet Kepka at 18 to one. I just, it's, he's been coming so close. I, I like Tony Finau a lot. Tony Finau, by the way, here's a stat for you, Mr. Stat guy, 
four years since the beginning of 2018. Nobody has more top tens in major championships. He has nine in 13 major starts, Tony Finau. More than Brooks Kepka, more than Xander Shoffley. We spend so much time talking about how good Kepka and Shoffley have been at the major championships. Tony Finau, Tony Finau for top 10, especially at a golf course that I pick him for the Farmers Insurance Open every single year. It's a course that he plays really, really well, and he's come close at in the past. I, I get it. You don't want to play Tony Finau as an outright play this week? Okay, good. I, I get it. Tony Finau. Tony Finau. You're a For me, maybe if the safest play, maybe the best bet on the board is a Tony Finau top 10 this week. He was literally the first, that was the first thing I wrote down. The first thing I wrote down making picks was Tony Finau top 10. And I know top 10 and Tony Finau go hand in hand, really. If you follow golf, just the amount of times he's gotten close over the last few years without breaking through with another win. The Kepka number, which you'll see, and you've been seeing it grow over the years. Since the beginning of 2016, Brooks Kepka is 82 under par in majors. 59 shots better than any other player. Mm. That's some tigerish type massive separation between himself and the field, the way he's able to elevate his game, his approach to the major championships. He's looking at this leaderboard. He's crossing 70 guys off before he tees off. He's an absolute killer in majors. One of my favorite things to watch in sports right now is him dial it up in major championships. You gotta, I think you gotta have a ticket on Kepka to win at 18 to one. I think it's yeah, pretty good. I kind of feel the same way. I really do. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-88-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Some of the guys up near the top, I don't quite know what to make of. Bryson, I'm not sure where his game is right now. We know he can play the U.S. Open really well. Be a delicious piece of irony if uh, we go from the last player to win back-to-back U.S. Opens was Brooks Kepka. Now it's Bryson DeChambeau. I believe that because uh, I'm doing post-round and uh, uh, pre-tournament interviews for SiriusXM on U.S. Open Radio this week, and I believe I'm doing the interview with Bryson DeChambeau, and I will absolutely ask him as the first question, hey, the last guy to go back-to-back at the U.S. Open is Brooks Kepka. How do you feel about your chances to go back-to-back, and what would that mean to you? And so I uh, can't wait to hear his answer. I'm sure it's not going to be really Brooks-related, but at least you get the name in there. I, I'm not sure about Bryson this week, though. I, I don't love him as much as I have at other events, and I did like him last year at Wingfoot. And Justin Thomas is a guy that I always like at the major championships, and I just – I'm not quite feeling him right now. I, I just don't know that his game is necessarily there. And this, of course, I, I, he's skipped this event, I believe, a handful of times over the last few years. And it's not really one that uh, I think suits his eye. Yeah, um, Thomas is interesting because all the metrics point towards iron play being unbelievably significant, especially long irons. What's the best part of Justin Thomas's game? Those long irons. I will say in kind of this relative dip he's had over the last couple of months his tee to green numbers haven't been that bad it's just been a really tough stretch with his putter um i wouldn't be surprised if he figured that out remember he came out of the gates blazing hot at Wingfoot last year and then kind of you know settled into the tournament and and you know lost a little bit of that momentum after that but i don't think anyone would be surprised by that i think patrick cantlay is an interesting character on the board coming off mm-hmm. his, his win at memorial don't, don't be don't be air quote I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding i know Get i, I asterisk out of here 
for and this is an audio platform too. Excellent <laughs> broadcaster I am. I did air quotes <laughs> for a microphone for a podcast. So that we could hear the air quotes. No, he he won the tournament based on based on the rules for everything. Absolutely, it's a victory. Um, you know, where's he at coming off of a win? Um, a place where he you know, he's played well in California in his career so far. He's an interesting name. I go a little bit further down and a guy who won on this golf course a couple years ago, he was the biggest story at the first major championship of the year through a couple of days. Mm-hmm. When Justin Rose won this tournament at Torrey Pines a few years ago, on approach shots from outside 200 yards, he was 11 under par in those situations. That's insane. He was yeah. absolutely lighting it up with those long irons. If he's able to bottle a little bit of that up, he's going to have some good feeling coming back here. 40 to 1 for Justin Rhodes. You can probably find some good action on him to have a top 10 finish, maybe even top five. I think you can get some good numbers there. I've already taken him outright. I love Justin Rose this week. Uh, uh, filling out the bottom of that sort of top tier. I, I like Victor Hovland and I like Patrick Reed, at least for top five, top 10, right around there. I think I, on my uh, ranking of the entire field, which I'm still working on, both of them are, I think, in the back end of the top 10. I think I've got them somewhere between six and nine. Uh, still working on that as we speak right now. But then we move into that next tier. And even though Justin Rose doesn't quite fit the profile that we're talking about, big, strong, athletic, I, Justin Rose, I spent some time with Justin Rose a couple of weeks ago at the PGA Championship. Justin Rose is a bigger dude than I think most people realize. I mean, he is, For sure. he's tall, he's strong, he's gotten bigger. I mean, I, I don't mind Justin Rose whatsoever. Like I said, I really like him. Some of the other guys that fit that profile that are in this next year, Scotty Scheffler, who we saw sort of fade down the stretch at Muirfield Village a few weeks ago. I'm not sure he's necessarily ready to go win for the first time at a major championship, but I think he's going to be right there. The player with the best cumulative score to par in the major championship since the beginning of last year, Scotty Scheffler. Wow. Missed the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, by the way. And that helps him, and that statistic. I will say that. But four straight top 20 finishes in the major. So he's, he's really got some good form in these big events, likes tough golf courses. A few other big, strong guys in that next year. Mark Leishman, who is my favorite player at the PGA Championship. He should be crossed off my list for at least the next year. He's on probation, but I still like him anyway. He's a really good long iron player. That's going to be important. Big, strong dude. Jason Kokrak is completely undervalued in the marketplace. Jason Kokrak is being valued as a guy who's still like, oh, he's a nice player. Not as, wow, he's won twice this year on completely different golf courses, and he's a stud that knows how to close out golf tournaments right now. it would not surprise me at all, Justin, if Jason Kokrak was to win this golf tournament. So the only thing that was holding Kokrak back from being a perennial winner and a really, you know, maybe not elite tier, but a really good player on the PGA Tour, putting. He was That's an it. awful That's putter. It. He's top 10 on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting this season. Whatever yeah. he figured yeah. out, he has completely flipped the script. I'm with you. I think he is totally undervalued. 66 to 1 to win right now. I'm looking at it at MGM. Um, he's got some sneaky good putting numbers, even before this resurgence, I believe he's second in strokes game putting at the, at the U S open of the last four years. Only guy better than him is Xander Shoffley. Um, he kind of fits that profile too. distance, you know, he's not going to need to hit a ton of fairways, you know, and like you said, he went on two very different types of golf courses. He, I think there's a, I'm with you. I think there's a lot of value there in Jason Kokrak. Couldn't you see Kokrak winning this week and then afterwards going, how did we all not get on that? He's got two wins already this year. He's a perfect U.S. Open type player that we've seen over the last five years, the kind of guy that wins these golf tournaments. Uh, a couple other sort of big, strong guys. Shane Lowry is a guy that I like. Uh, Gary Woodland, again, is a guy that I like. Charlie Hoffman, who's uh, had more reps on this golf course than maybe anybody else in the field, maybe other than Phil Mickelson. And then my favorite play on the board. And I, I didn't feel great about it, but at some point you're putting together a list of, hey, here's 1 to 156, and somebody's got to be number one. And I still don't feel great. I'd, I'd rather take one through six and have them all like T1. But you can't do that. You got to go out and make a pick. And my favorite play on the board is a guy with big, strong forearms that hits the ball really high in the air, that can get it out of the rough, and has been playing major championships much better as of late, Paul Casey at 50 to 1. One of the best players on the PGA Tour on approach shots outside 200 yards, which is what you're going to see more often than not. You're going to see a lot mm-hmm. more of those than normal. That's an interesting call. He'd be on the older side for a U.S. Open champion, but 
I mean, what Phil Mickelson just won a major Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl. Who cares at this point? Like apparently we're all, everyone's eating better and training and, and the aging process has been halted for some of these elite athletes. So, you know, I wouldn't put it past Paul Casey there. Um, I think it's a really good call. Uh, there's some value there going a little bit further down the board. I thought this guy was really interesting played in the final group with Patrick Reed earlier this year at Torrey Pines and the longer his approach shots, on the in, when you look at his rankings page, the longer the approach shots, his iron statistic rankings get better and better. Carlos Ortiz, oh, one twenty-five oh. to one. I think there's some interesting value there. Not necessarily to win. We haven't seen him flash in a major championship before, but he's got some good vibes on this golf course, and you know he's got kind of that long iron prolific proficiency rather that makes him kind of a I think a little bit of a value play down the board. I would have guessed that one wrong. I. I didn't remember that Carlos Ortiz played with Reed. Well, I, he I played terrible Sunday. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I was looking at another guy who's 125 to one that's had some success at Torrey Pines, Ryan Palmer. I thought that's where you're going because Ryan Palmer is a guy that likes this golf course. Another guy that I, I'm not throwing outrights on Ryan Palmer this week necessarily, but 125 to one is big. I mean, you know, top five, top 10, don't completely hate it. I mean, we start getting into this, uh, this area, this, you know, 125 to 150 to one. And I think you look at guys again, that fit the profile. It doesn't mean that a Kevin Streelman or a Charles Schwartzel or somebody like that can't go out and have a good week, because I think that certainly there's still availability for those guys to just go out and hit fairways, hit greens and be able to play some solid golf. But uh, I look at the guy we mentioned right off the top that you said you were going to fade on the gimme last week. And when you said it, I, I didn't want to say anything, but even before his T2 finish at Palmetto, uh, I really like Jonathan Vegas. <laughs> Got to throw I, in I, the details. <laughs> I, I I always like Jonathan Vegas. I've said this a hundred times on this podcast over the last couple of years, but Jonathan Vegas is a guy that if if you went to the range and you didn't know who any of the players were, but you knew golf and you watched them all swing and then you watched them at ship shots around the greens, you'd go, that guy's a top 20, top 30 player. He just looks the part of it. And so yeah. he's had, like you mentioned on the show last week, uh, he was T3, I believe, in his debut at Torrey Pines years ago. Hasn't done much since then, but coming off a good start last week, I don't mind Jonathan Vegas for some prop plays or DFS plays uh, at a big number. What do we think of the new bomber on the block? Wilco, plus 250. Don't hate I mean, him. it's he's kind of – no, he's not going to win. I just think the way he attacks this golf course is going to be interesting at the very least. It's going to be a fun storyline to follow. Um, I believe I saw that he had the fourth longest – driving distance in a single week in the history of the PGA tour last week. And that was in low country, South Carolina. That wasn't in Vegas or someplace with altitude. That was, you know, that was, that's pretty impressive. Um, The other name I have way down the board, and this is just kind of a player that I wanted to go at the U S open, you know, think about Andrew Landry at Oakmont a few years ago was part of the storyline till the very end. There's always somebody from way down the board that you don't see coming. So this guy, he plays on the Corn Ferry Tour, absolutely crushes the golf ball, top five on the Corn Ferry Tour in driving distance. Hitting more than 71% of his greens in regulation this season. I love that number. Sixth on the Corn Ferry Tour in birdie average. It's a really interesting statistical profile for the Canadian Taylor Pendrith. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're going to hear that name anywhere else in the scope of all us talking heads blathering about numbers and players to pick going into the week. But I think he's got a really interesting statistical profile. And at 400 to one, I think, hey, why not take a flyer on a guy to contend to get a top 10 finish? With he played numbers well, like foot, that, didn't he? Did he play well last year? You're supposed to have that in front of you. Come on, Jay Ray. Oh, I stumped him. I stumped him. I got him. You don't know. You don't know what Taylor Pedrick did at Wingfoot. Oh, I don't. What did he do? I don't know. Oh, well, come on. You can't just. Uh, Okay, hang Thanks on. The rug under from, from under me there. It was good. I'm going to say T38 as I look this up right now. It's the tie for 23rd. Tie for 23rd? Is that what it was? And then, as, as most do, he went from the U.S. Open straight to the Wichita Open, supporting Wichita's youth, and finished second the following week. Of course he so did. He took the momentum from Wingfoot to Wichita, Kansas, and nearly won the golf tournament. How many people have been the Corn Ferry had him after that T23 in Wichita? We're like, come on, dude finished in second i all right you gave me some big numbers there i got three names for you with really big numbers next to their names and again top 10 top 20 dfs plays uh justin suh who plays really well on the west coast he's a guy that we've been waiting for him to 
jump out and make a big name for himself. I, I really like that kid's game. I, I think he got lost in the mix a little bit coming, uh, turning pro with uh, Morikawa and Hovland and Wolf. And he was sort of the, the lost man in the shuffle, but he's a really good player. Sahith Thigala, who was T32 a couple of weeks ago at the Memorial. He's a West Coast kid, grew up in California. Again, you look at the profile, big, strong guy who can muscle it out of the rough. I think Thigala is going to have a really good week. And one Pepperdine, more, right? Pepperdine? Pepperdine, yes. Yeah. Pepperdine went and won the championship without him this year after he turned pro. And then another guy that I've been waiting to talk about for so long because I, I remember watching him at a U.S. Open. This had to be six, seven, eight years ago. Sitting on the range. And sometimes, a lot of times you sit on the range, you can't really, you know, okay, they're all really good. I see their swings. And every once in a while, you watch a guy on the range go, who's that guy? I, got, I remember Cameron Champit, uh, Aaron Hills. I remember watching him on the range that week and going, that dude, he, he's good, right? Like, can I say he's good? And he played really well that week. And was like, oh, okay. Like, I got something right. Yeah, okay. Uh, Chan Kim, who played really well at Kiowa a couple of weeks ago. Another, just I, I'm going after this stereotype, but big, strong dude, plays West Coast golf really well, went to Arizona State, uh, absolutely just crushed the field, I believe, in his qualifier um, after making the cut and playing well. I believe a top 30 at the PGA Championship, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's another guy with another big, big number next to his name that I like this week. Interesting. I like that. I think C. Figala is a really interesting player to follow. I'm more apt to take a flyer on a younger guy if he played college golf, amateur golf on the West Coast, if you're playing a U.S. Open in California. The different kind of putting surfaces, um, the way it's going to change later in the day um, with the the growth on the greens. Um, That's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Figala, I like that. Okay, let's get into some guys. Uh, We've kind of gone down the board very quickly of guys that we really like. Um, and I'm sure that's going to help some people, but let's get into some guys we don't like, because I, I think that part of this process is the process of elimination and trying to look at guys and say, what do we think of them? You know, what do we think of, you know, who, who are we fading at the top? I look at the top of the list. And I say, I don't love Jordan Spieth who hasn't played great golf at Torrey Pines over the years. You said, Hey, maybe a guy like Jordan can spray it here. I just don't know that. This is his kind of golf course. I, I don't like Rory McIlroy. I still think that his game is, uh, despite, I, I think what we're going to find uh, over the next couple of months is that Quail Hollow was a complete outlier and good for him. He was able to do it while he's still working on his game and still trying to find his swing. And that's, I, I, I actually think that's pretty remarkable that he was able to win sort of in the midst of making some changes. But I don't like Rory right now. Anybody else just from the top tier that you don't like that you would be fading this week? Yeah, I'm with you on Rory. Um, he's had a really crazy trend at the major championships since he last won at Valhalla, the PGA in 2014. In round one of majors since the beginning of 2015, Rory has a combined 35 over par. Rounds two through four, he is 60 under par, a 95 shot differential in terms of, of score to par from round one to rounds two through four. He's for whatever reason had trouble getting out of the gates. I'm kind of with you. I don't know if it's going to be a total aberration, but I do see your point that, you know, he's still working on his game at that point. It's not the finished product. You know, it's not, it's not what we're going to see a year or two years from now. Right. In terms of Roy McIlroy. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm leaning away from him. Um, it would be the best story in sports. Uh, it would be incredible for Phil Mickelson to, complete the grand slam gonna get at the there. u.s open i can't man i just can't i i mean he i, I know i know you're gonna hear he's won here three times in his mm-hmm. career his last win was 20 years ago <laughs> i mean like it was i think it was before i got into high school like it was a long time ago I, i'm you know I, I it would be an incredible story and i mean it'd be it'd be great if he proved me wrong even if he just got into the hunt a little bit it'd be it'd be really fun be exciting but I'm, I'm off him as well. Um, yeah. On, before you go any further, I want to ask you this yes. question. I, I, I'm not even sure I should be asking this question. You might, you might look at me like I'm absolutely crazy, but if Phil wins this week to complete the career grand slam in his hometown of San Diego at Torrey Pines, a place he knows so well, does it even come close to measuring up to Tiger Woods at the 2019 masters? Oh man. No, it's not a bad question. I'm not, I'm, I definitely won't say that. Um, I think that Tiger has different emotive, you know, things with people. I think the connection there is a little bit different in terms of 
like Phil's an ultra mega star and a legend in the sport. Obviously you can't, you know, say enough about what he's done in his career, but I think the pull tiger has, you know, just like globally as a famous person, if that makes sense. Like he's Mm -hmm. like Phil Mickelson is a golf superstar. Like tiger is a transcendent sports talent across generations. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of a different animal. Now, does it go into, you know, most, let's say, the, I think the better question, not 2019 Masters, how about this versus the 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines? Oof, then I, I think you're going to be more them, but Yeah, that's a good question. I think yeah. that's more – it'd be to, two different accomplishments. One, you know, Phil would be this encapsulation of a guy breaking through in a championship that's been his absolute foil his whole career and, you know, doing something incredible, breaking his own record of being the oldest major winner. And then the individual week of what Tiger did in terms of – the injury and, you know, I won't rehash all the incredible things he did that week on a broken leg and a destroyed knee. But I think that might be where the comp is a little more interesting because I just think the Tiger Masters victory, that golf course, that's the, the, all the symbolism yeah, yeah. tied to it. It's just a little, it's just a different animal. That's where I was going. So a few things coming off of that. First of all, I've done this, the, done the math. I've looked at the stats. Uh, Phil Mickelson indeed is older now than he was a month ago. So he would become the <laughs> oldest winner of major championship if he was to win this week. I'll have uh, to verify that once we're off, but I think but, that's okay. You, you can look that one up. I, I know right. it takes you a while to do the research on stuff. Uh, I think you're absolutely right in that it comes down to Tiger, a little greater than Phil. Just it, it just is. It's Tiger and Augusta National is better than Tory. It's just it's hard to compare the two, but I still think that uh, the Tiger, the 19 Masters, is much bigger. What I will say is that, and we had Keegan Bradley on our radio show on hitting the green a couple of weeks ago and talked to him about Phil winning the PGA championship and Keegan obviously biased a good friend of Phil and loves the guy. And Keegan said, in my mind, Phil is the third best golfer of all time. We're talking right now about is Phil a top 10 golfer of all time. I think he probably is. I would put him in there. Uh, it's, it's probably a, a big discussion for another time that you and I can go through and try to check the numbers and get, you know, we're, we're looking at guys from a hundred years earlier and how do they compare to Phil Mickelson in today's age? Um, I, I will say, by the way, uh, total non sequitur, but I was on a golf trip uh, this past week at Chessy Creek club, which is an amazing place. And uh, we had a great time there second year in a row, the annual boys trip there, but in the locker room where we we're hanging out, there's a big, uh, Ryder Cup sort of uh, mounted plaque poster, so to speak. It's got a picture of the entire team. And you look at the team, and there's Steve Pate, and there is Hal Sutton, and there's Marco Mira, and then you look, and, and there's Phil. That guy won a major a few weeks ago. It's just, <laughs> it, it's amazing. You're like, just looking at that team, and you're like, oh my God, like one of those guys just won a major champion. The, like half of that team, you haven't even heard their name, Jeff Maggart. You haven't heard their name in 15 years and yeah. Phil's still out there winning major championships. It just goes to show his longevity. In any case, uh, Keegan was on our show, said that Phil is in his mind, the third best golfer of all time. And we didn't even have to ask the, the top two. I would say that if Phil wins this week and I get it, it's a big, if I don't think it's going to happen, I would love to see it happen. I root for the story. I would be absolutely overjoyed for Phil who is uh, just the best. I, I love just kind of being around Phil and talking to Phil. Uh, and I think it would be tremendous, but if Phil wins this week, I might be ready to elevate him to number three all time. Wow. Well, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I think if I think I look, I, I, I love Phil. Phil's one of my favorite players always has been. Um, but I think that look, if you're rounding it off in like the last 50 years, then maybe, but I, I can't, I can't put him above. I can't put him above Ben Hogan. Hogan, yeah, Hogan's a tough Walter one. Hagen. Hogan and Jones are the two tough ones, right? Walter Hagen, I can't put him above Hagen. Eleven major championships. I can't. I, I don't think I can put him above Tom Watson. Oh, oh, come on. Watson has eight majors. I get it. Different eras. I mean, I, now, are I you get, so you're not... saying if he completes the slam? Right. Yes. If he completes so if he com- the slam, right, I mean, then that, we're yes. talking about something. Then I, I mean, you got to kind of take a 20,000 foot view yes, and look at it a little bit different. Yeah. I'm but, not saying right now, I'm not agreeing with Keegan as he speaks right now, that yeah. he's the third best all time, but if he somehow I, wins this week and granted, it's a huge hypothetical question right now. And who knows how we'd feel on Sunday <laughs> evening after it happens and beyond. But 
Uh, I, I, okay. Maybe top five, maybe top three is a, a little much, uh, but maybe in with, you know, Tiger Jack, Hogan Jones, and maybe Phil creeps into that top five, at least in my mind. And I get it that others have more major championship wins. Other has others have more PGA tour wins. I just, the longevity of the career, the the ups and the downs, the sweat, I, it might be there for me. Yeah, I could probably move him. I can. I, I would have told you, let's say a year ago, I probably would have had him in like the twelve to fifteen range. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that now, after winning the PGA, it it probably it may be a little recency bias, but I could push him into the top ten now. But I just think there's a lot of names. Look, if he completes the Grand Slam, that's that's a five man club, dude. That's a really small small group and and it would be you'd have to look at him from a completely different lens but he's a long way away from uh from doing that this week okay so we often do on our show the gimme buy or sell when we spin our betting wheel i'm going to not spin a betting wheel but i'm just going to pick a guy and ask you buy or sell and uh i'll chime in as well as we get moving on this but um i like this mid-tier that i'm going to look at right here so uh, let's first start with will zalatoris you buy and you sell him I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy because of how prolific – I mean, I keep using the wrong word. Prolific instead of proficient. How good he's been with his irons, the strongest point of his game. Um, he's – I think it's three consecutive top ten finishes in the major championships, and his mm-hmm. ball striking numbers have been outstanding in those starts. Um, I don't see any reason for that to change this week. I know he hasn't played his best golf since the Masters, but he did play pretty well at the PGA Championship. Um, I'm going to buy. Okay. Uh, I'm with you. It's a – conservative buy uh, i don't yeah. know that i'm putting him I, I think on my list and again i was doing this on an airplane with uh literal paper hard copy like writing names down uh earlier today so i don't have the the whole list but i've got zalator somewhere in the mid to high teens so i mean if you want to play a top 20 for me that's that's my Zalatoris play i'm not going too much deeper than that uh all right let's see okay. adam scott at 66 to 1 at 66 to one, I think I might buy. I think because of the success he's had on this golf course in the past, contended a few years ago when Justin Rose ultimately went on to win. Um, he's a guy who, look, the focus is going to be on these four tournaments a year, and he's basically said as much verbally about the rest of the PGA Tour season is that this is what he's gearing up towards. Um, with that golf swing, at 66 to one, as, as prolific a champion as he's been in his career, uh, I think it's a, it's a slight buy. Uh, I'm I'm kind of with you. I kind of like Adam Scott this week. There might be a little too much bias just based on uh, two starts at Torrey Pines. He's got a runner up and a tenth place finish, but uh, I kind of like Adam Scott this week. All right, I'm trying to find one that we might actually sell. I don't know if I can do it here. Webb Simpson. So this was one of my <laughs> one of my favorite statistics. You did not find one I'd sell, by the way. I'm, I'm very I think so. So I want to go over this stat again because it's kind of complicated, but it's a really good one. Winners at Torrey Pines since 2004, 51% of their approach shots that they've hit have been from 175 yards and out. That's about 10 to 12% more than the PGA Tour average. So you're mm-hmm. going to have more long iron shots than normal on this golf course. Think kind of like you would at Bay Hill. The four best players in terms of average score to par from 175 yards and out are John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Bryson DeChambeau, and Webb Simpson. Yep. And those are four of the guys who are going to be near the top of a lot of boards for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons why I kind of like Webb Simpson, and maybe we'll find somebody that I'll sell. I'm just in a, just in a great mood right now, I think. That's, I'm just excited about Major Championship Week being here. But I'm going to buy Webb Simpson. It's a moderate buy, though. Really strong top of this field, obviously. So 40 to 1, that's a slight buy for me. All right. In his last 13 majors, Sergio Garcia has missed 11 cuts and not finished in the top 50 in the other two. Sell? Can I get you a sell there? That is a sell. That okay. is a hard sell. Um, I do not want any part of Sergio <laughs> this week. He gains most of his strokes off the tee. That's yeah. not what winners typically do on this golf course, as we talked about earlier. Um, I'm going to sell Sergio this week. We'll give you a couple more real quick. Bubba Watson. So Bubba's interesting. He's had some decent finishes at Torrey Pines over the years. Of course, he won here um, a few years back. I think that wasn't the year Phil had Bones pull the flagstick from 91 yards away. Yeah, 91 yards away. People forget that. I think it was Bubba that won that day. Um, you know, he, look, he hasn't, he's not the player he was five, six years ago. He's not a guy who's at the top of the sport anymore. Um, sneaky, kind of older than people realize on the other mm. side of 40. 
Um, but if there's a place where you can gain shots, he, he another guy like Sergio gains most of his strokes off the tee. That's his strength, not necessarily with his approach play. I'm not too high on Bubba this week. Speaking of being on the other side of 40, Lee Westwood. So I just want to celebrate Lee Westwood and his entire vibe. You know, this is a man yeah. who spent the week preparing in really Hogan-esque fa- fashion. Vegas, getting married. He's posting IG stories with bottles of champagne. He's at the Vegas Knights playoff hockey. The man is is winning at life. Okay? I believe what? I believe, Jay Ray, that's more Hagen-esque than Hogan-esque. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. I was going for the dry sarcasm there, but yes, correct. <laughs> the second time we mentioned Walter Hagen. That is definitely more Hagen-esque than Hogan-esque. He was like hanging out with Babe Ruth back in the day. He wasn't yeah. in a big Golden Knights playoff game. But just celebrate the whole essence of the man. Just, you know, just absolutely living life to the fullest. Do I want to pick him to win the U.S. Open this week? Absolutely not. He did finish in third place here in 2008. The mm-hmm. rewatch of that a few nights ago on uh, Golf Channel is just a stark reminder of how close he was to being part of that playoff. So many opportunities down the stretch. It was really kind of kind of heart-wrenching to watch because you, we've seen it so many times over the years. But um, it's, I, I'll buy hanging out with Lee Westwood. I will absolutely <laughs> buy that. I want all parts of that. But in terms of betting on him this week, no, no thanks. Okay, I'm with you on that. All right, uh, let's make a DFS lineup. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him, and you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. You can have the first pick. I'm still thinking. I can have the first pick. I've been all thinking right. all week. I've been thinking for two weeks on this thing. Well, I'm going to go with a kid... We haven't mentioned this guy really yet, which is kind of surprising. We, we've been doing this for like an hour already. I know, but I don't think I've heard the name Xander Shoffley yet, which is incredible. I have to give this out. My favorite Xander Shoffley fact, each of his four U.S. Open starts in his career, he's finished in the top 10. Yeah. The last top man six. to start his career, the last man to start his career with four consecutive top 10 finishes in the U.S. Open, Mr. Bobby Jones. That's the kind of company that he's kept in his U.S. Open career. Xander in San Diego, Excellent driver of the golf ball, no weaknesses, and a little bit of a value here at 9,300. I'm going to put Xander Shoffley as our first pick. Okay. Uh, tough not to like Xander. I, I like him. I don't love him this week. He's, until this past year, I was sort of a backdoor top two, and I hate that term because uh, there's no <laughs> such thing as a backdoor. Like, he played well in the final round to get into second place. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, there's, it's Just because the narrative you remember in the tournament says that, oh, he contended and then faded or whatever. It was a bad right. – no, the tournament's 72 holes. Yes. You get paid for what you shoot over 72 yes. holes. Yes. But that said, it's really the only time that he's played well in his hometown here at Torrey Pines, and he plays every year and he loves this golf course. So uh, that's backing me off just a little bit on Xander, but I'm, I'm with him. That's what you get for giving me the first pick. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going with – if you think he's a good value, I'm going with my favorite value out there, Jason Kokrat, good 7,600. I – Again, I, I think he's got top five written all over him this week. I've been wrong before. I've been wrong a lot. I've been wrong so many times. Uh, just like Mark Leishman screwed me over a few uh, a month ago, Keegan Bradley two weeks ago at the Memorial, guys, where I'm like, uh, he's going to be in a lot of my lineups. Jason Kokrak will be in a lot of my lineups. And by the end of this week, I might not like Jason Kokrak anymore. He might be on double secret probation for me. So I had already scrolled down to Kokrak. So if you weren't going on the screen here in front of me, if you weren't going to pick him, I was going to. So that's what I feel differently about your selection, teammate, than you do about mine. But I'm going to keep it moving. Okay, keep well, if he doesn't play well, I'm going to blame you for wanting to take him then. All right, fine. That makes sense. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go back to a guy I mentioned earlier who played well for three rounds at Torrey Pines earlier this year. I like his iron statistics profile $7,100 for Carlos Ortiz I think he's going to make the cut and have a pretty good week wow on my list I have him uh right next to Alvaro Ortiz his brother it's fine they're two Molinari's too which Molinari do you like better this week what's that Uh, which Molinari do you like better this week I I think I think think uh, Eduardo's the sneaky pick Eduardo might beat Francesco this week I, think I like he's that play. Sneaky pick. Yeah, I'd take it. I, I assume there's the a same matchup same somewhere. Game, but permanent American. <laughs> I'm sure it has nothing to do with it, but yeah, no. Um, all right, I've let's see. We have twenty six. Lots of money left. I wanted to give you 
We, we got a lot left to spend here on a top-heavy board. All right, I'll take the guy that's going to win. Paul Casey, 7,900. That was easy. 7,900 for Paul Casey. That's a good value. I, I like that. Yeah. So we've got 18 one left. Xander, Kokrak, Ortiz, and Casey. Oh, man. I know he missed the cut at Congaree, but I, it's really tough to not take Bruce Kepka in a major mm-hmm. game, right? It feels like you're kind of kick yourself if you don't take him. But I'll go a little bit further down. I'll go with another oh. guy who played really well earlier this year at Torrey Pines. He's got really good ball striking statistics at Torrey Pines South and his, his limited career there. 9,200 for Victor Hovland. I'm going to go there. Okay. I, I took no chalk. Oh, well, oh and look what you left it. I thought you were going to take Tony Finau when you were leading up to that pick. So a guy that's got great ball striking well, numbers yeah. at, at Torrey Pines, a guy that's played well there. We have 8,900 left. Tony Finau's 8,900. I'm taking Tony Finau, and we're going to spend all our money right there. Excellent. Uh, I like it. Just like you draw it up. Right there. Casey Finau, Hovland, Kokrak, Ortiz, Shoffley. Ship that lineup. That's That's deep. That's, Just you as get, we do. You get a little top 20 from Ortiz, you're making some money there, I think. Uh, with with the soft pricing in major championships, every <laughs> yeah. lineup on Monday evening <laughs> when you tape the podcast looks really, really good. For the next three every days, week. we're going to be making a ton of great lineups that can't lose, <laughs> and we're going to be making a lot of money until they actually tee off on Thursday morning. It's part of the fun. Oh, it's I'll stifle people's, people's good vibes here, man. It's U.S. Open oh, week, baby. Let's, I love it. You know, uh, I, I won't lie a few times uh, when we do the podcast. I don't like some of your picks. I don't actually put in the lineup. I, boom. I just put it in that lineup. Just, That's how much, you know, breaking all kinds here. of barriers in our relationship here with just <laughs> truths being dropped on me. Right. And left I told you I'm, I'm fragile. I had a guy flip me off in the grocery store parking lot earlier. And Make I better picks. I'm going to flip <laughs> you off. If Carlos Ortiz doesn't finish top 20. <laughs> oh man. All right. I mean, I'm just not going to bring up the overall, you know, leaderboard, the overall tote board since I joined the gimme. I won't bring that up. Is it good? I, I feel like uh, your boy's got a substantial lead. Really? Right. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. okay. So here's here's the deal with the gimme for those that are watching <laughs> that show as well. I feel like last week for my preview that I write, my betting guide that I write first thing Monday morning to start off the week, I had Hatton top five hit. I had Higo top 10, that hit. I had Lipsky top 20, that hit. I had Fitzpatrick as my favorite DFS play for the free bingo square that I say that he, that hit, he was, you know, one of the better sort of top player options for the gimme. When we were making our picks, I, I didn't have any of those. I think I had Hatton for a top 10, but like, I'm just picking the wrong guy. I'm picking the right guys for the preview. And then I'm just kind of like sort of veering in another direction a little bit for the gimme just to sort of, spread it out a little bit so I can be maybe right somewhere and wrong somewhere else. I've been wrong on the gimme more than I've been right on the, uh, in the preview. So Jason, I'm just hearing a lot of excuses is what I'm hearing. I think we need to take accountability for our picks, take it on the chin. And you know, when you're down to your boy, you're down, it's okay. You're going to come back. It's fine. But you know, this, this wishy-washy back and forth, it's not doing anybody any good. Uh, Mark Leishman will have an official apology on the pod next week for <laughs> what he's done to me. Keegan Bradley will have an apology for what he's done to me. Um, and, and I assume that after this week, Paul Casey and Jason Kokrak will have an apology for me as well. Um, after I think that they're surefire locks to be in contention this week. And uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Look, man, Bo Van Pelt almost won last week at Congaree, and he hasn't contended since the previous like two presidential administrations ago. So it's, you know, it's a tough sport to handicap. We're doing our best here. We're trying. We're trying for you guys out there. We're doing our best. We're trying. I'm sure one of these names that we've mentioned that we really like this week is not going to play well. And someone that we haven't mentioned on the pod, we've been sitting here for an hour talking all about guys that we like. And I'm sure there's one name that we haven't mentioned that is going to be right there. And you're going to be like, hey, these guys, these idiots didn't even talk about him on the podcast. How'd they miss yeah, him? We so, haven't said Daniel Berger's name. So he's, he's your winner. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very possible. Uh, yes. Just go through the podcast. Just sit there and write down every name. Uh, listen again, carefully write down every name that we've mentioned and then look for the names that we didn't mention. Congratulations. Yeah. Daniel Berger. Congratulations to, 
Oh, who do I got? Let's see. The, the, the reigning Masters champion. We mentioned Tyrrell Hatton. We didn't mention Hatton at all. No, not really. Tyrrell Hatton, U.S. Open champion. It's a big field, Jason. It's tough Louis to mention. Louis Ustazen. Matt Corey Fitzpatrick, Connors. Cameron Smith, Corey Connors, Joaquin Neiman, Abraham Answer. That's basically – that's your Sunday leaderboard right there. All the guys we didn't really – get into and mention those guys that we like We're pushing people away at this point we need to wrap this up <laughs> okay guys stop listening thanks so much for being with us for this edition of the action network podcast presented by bet mgm he's justin ray i'm jason sobel enjoy the 121st u.s open this week can't wait for it all to get started here at tory pines good luck with all your bets this week here's open you hit the green We're finished talking.